Welcome to Women Who Sarcast. I'm Kathy Barron. And I'm Corey Ascension. And this is Cut to the Chase. <laughs> so, so we had some technical difficulties right before this, but we are um, zened. We did yeah. some ohm fuck-offs, and we're good to go. Excellent. Perfect. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit about cults-ish-ish. cults mm-hmm. Um Corey had mentioned her experience, the religion that she was brought up in and wanted to mm-hmm. share that story. And we're going to kind of give a little bit of a like background, edumacate people a little bit about what constitutes a cult, what what to look for in organizations or even like your local gym um, because those are also in that category. Interesting. Uh, and language apparently is part of the cults. Well, I will be learning some new things today for sure because, um, and it's funny when you say that about uh the gym and language because in the, the gym part and I'm like uh, it's, but anyhow I will listen to you but it's so true <laughs> because it's like a regiment mm-hmm. as far as a gym like CrossFit or even Soul Cycle it's like mm-hmm. some kind of club you know Soul Cycle anyhow <laughs> basically you, you cycle the soul out of yourself I, I guess <laughs> But I've been reading the book Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism by Amanda Montel. And a lot of the information I'm going to be sharing is from her book. And basically, I was, this was just like the first few chapters of the book that I was reading. It was very, it was a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of it made sense. She talks about Jonestown and, you know, she interviewed people that were survivors of Jonestown and, relatives of survivors so that was pretty uh intense to read about mm-hmm. and she mentions heaven's gate too which was in southern california i remember that being in the news why don't i i don't have a recollection of that right now but that was when the uh comet was gonna oh oh uh, haley's <laughs> yeah. comet haley yeah. bob's comet or whatever it was yeah so they drank the poison and she actually interviewed people that were part of that sect, that mm-hmm. Heaven's Gate. But basically, she says that language insulates you. It makes you feel special, and it makes you feel like you're in the know. And she does reference CrossFit and Soul Cycle and a yogi as part of cults or cultish. We'll just say cultish. But even like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And what is it? Um, Quentin well, I guess Tarantino's that, movies. That it makes me think you'll hear people say they have like a cult-like following. So yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then like the Grateful Dead has a huge following or did have a huge following. And mm-hmm. I remember in college, there was a, a guy that I knew that 
would like travel around in his like VW van and go to like all the Grateful Dead concerts. And, you know, there was definitely a type of person that mm-hmm. would, you know, go to those concerts. So basically groups that that kind of lean toward the destructive end use mm-hmm. three kinds of deception. Omission of what you need to know, distortion mm-hmm. to make whatever they're saying more acceptable, and outright lies. Mm-hmm. And with the addition of social media, declining marriages, isolation is all, it's at an all time high, you know, since like 2019. And, you know, humans aren't really that great at loneliness um, right. because we're not built for it. You know, we're built to have community and companionship. Since 2019, it seems like there's been an epidemic of loneliness. It's interesting to me that, and without going into like my story, because I don't want to, we're not going there yet, but as humans, when we are uncomfortable or struggling, and it's especially when you talk about something like a pandemic, so this mass amount of people, you will see a trend towards seeking in any way shape or form that is available to them to to have a community so as a sense of community but when things aren't rough we it's not the same do you understand what i mean mm-hmm. by that like if, if shit's not hard if we're not feeling uncomfortable if everything seems like it's smooth sailing then we're like whatever about the community it's just it's like new year's resolutions beginning of the new year everybody's making new year's resolutions so everybody feels like they have to make new year's resolutions so everybody jumps on that which nine times out of ten it's the lose weight train and all of a sudden you know we're super oh my gosh you've got to lose weight and everybody else is doing it so we're going to lose weight and we're going to come together and oh my gosh so exciting and then like a month later no one's doing it because lives have gone on it's not that it's not that big a deal to them anymore for whatever reason so that community coming together is off because it's no longer important anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because the new year celebrations are done and you don't have to dress up because you don't have to see your family for (laughs) another 11 months. (laughs) And, you know, so that sense of urgency is gone. It just is very interesting to me. You'll see that coming together when there's panic, but when the panic is gone, why does that sense and desire of community go away? I think it's also the level of insecurity and vulnerability because I think Mm. that if you're in a place where things aren't going well for you or you're not in a good place for whatever reason and someone comes up to you and is very nice to you and is listening and is compassionate and pays attention to you, then you're going to be like, oh my God, nobody's ever treated me this way. So it's interesting you say that because it makes me feel like there's a lack of knowing your worth and a lack of knowing who you are. So lack of Mm self-awareness, which would cause you to then need outside reinforcement. Now I do believe, like you had said earlier, where I don't know if that was before we started recording or not, uh, I do believe that we were designed to not be um, 
solitary. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we were designed to be that way. But at the same time, I do believe that we are to know who we are innately. But we don't. And because we don't, then when there is trauma or um, fears or loneliness, all of a sudden, then we're reaching out to other places to see if they can define who we are for us. Or you meet somebody. I mean, this is like with, in any relationship, like you find someone who's narcissistic and wears you down to the point where you question, you start questioning who you are and you start mm-hmm. doubting yourself. I mean, you could have been like the most strongest, self-assured person, but then when you meet somebody that breaks you down slowly and maybe you're not noticing it right away, subtly, continue to break you down, that's when you're like, wait a minute, maybe I am a piece of shit. Maybe I am not worthy because this person is telling me that. You know what I mean? So that is also part of it, that you may come into it as a strong individual and know your worth, but then how they talk to you or relay that language, their language, can totally twist you totally up. I think that that has to do with one, I I believe the idea of knowing who you are, what you are, you know, deeply within. I I don't think that ever ends. I think that's till the day I die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like when you're talking about uh, a narcissistic person and becoming involved with someone who's uh, narcissistic, what I believe can happen i'm not saying this happens in in every relationship but there is a belief that you no longer have to figure that out because you've got this person here now they're helping you define who you are now they're beginning to tell you and you're no longer seeking understanding about yourself and that what's what's going on around you and that's not a dig on them it, it on someone who is involved with the narcissist and that uh, occurs but then there's this convincing just like a cult there's a convincing that you no longer need to know who you are you know no longer need to understand somebody else has the answer for you and you know in a narcissistic relationship i would assume that they would just oh this is the person who it is and you become you take this path in your mind where that this is who's got the answers about who I am and what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to tread that path now um, because they become convinced of that. And then, like you say, you then believe, oh, I am a piece of shit. Oh, I am the one who causes all the problems. Oh, everything is my fault. Um, mm-hmm. I am worthless, it, it, you know, and so on, because you've lost this idea of finding self. Uh, because like I said, uh, I, my experience with, what I believe to be um, cultish or cult-like or cult. I always thought I was a strong person and independent and opinionated. In fact, the, the people around me would say, yeah. And not only that, they would say it was a problem that I was. (laughs) So um, to find myself caught up in something that would be very similar to a narcissist was as I left that was kind of like, mind-boggling um upsetting disappointing shocking um to realize holy shit that 
is fucking crazy because that I didn't I thought I was stronger than that. You know what I mean? Amanda goes on to say that humans are social and spiritual by design and our behavior is driven by a desire for belonging and purpose. So we're cultish by nature. And, mm. you know, we have this ingrained fear of alienation, you know, this this compulsion to conform and be part of a group that makes us feel good. And, you know, like I said, with the CrossFit and the the yogis out there, they're very charismatic and they definitely learn to channel and exploit their members. And it's almost like, you know, I keep bringing up CrossFit, but it's kind of true. I mean, it's definitely something that was a huge trend. I mean, you're part of this group, you're part of this clique and you want to belong. And, you know, for those that are health nuts, sometimes I feel like they look down on other people that aren't as whacked out, crazy exercise people, you know, and they shun them and judge them for not being fanatical like they are about their workouts. As far as religion, what religions do is provide meaning, sense of community, ritual, and purpose. And in a way, that kind of describes any CrossFit, too, or soul cycle. You know, the, it's interesting because... Um... I really have to think about that more because I think part of the reason why I'm going to have to say I don't agree with that <laughs> is I feel like probably it has to do with how I define cult. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking of cult, I'm thinking of some other definitions. Mm -hmm. Now, I can see what you're saying as far as someone who is in something like a CrossFit or Peloton or whatever, those types of things. Because in my mind, I'm looking at those things like, how is that different than someone who you know, likes to play softball and three times a week hangs out with their buddies and plays softball. And it's very important. They go to all the games, they've got all the stuff and they're looking up all the shit. But to me, when I'm thinking of cult, I'm thinking more of you are, you will literally sell all your shit. Mm. Um, you will, um, give all your devotion specifically, usually to one person or to a hierarchy group of people in a very overzealous way. You will cut off family and friends that aren't part of this uh, group. Um, and then there's the fear that, that comes in. If I leave this group, I'm going to lose everything. And so I, I guess when I'm thinking of cult and the only reason why I struggle with defining something like like the CrossFit and Peloton and things like that is I just don't know if I've never ever met anybody that would be like, oh, my God, if I, you know, don't go to CrossFit on Thursday, then they're going to contact the leadership and they're going to shun me until I um, have make penance. Right. <laughs> until so I turn over 500 I tractor trailer tires. Exactly. And I, I don't know, run, I don't know what something strapped my Do leg, holding six my legs down. million burpees. Yeah. So I think that's why I'm like, eh, mm. Well, but, I do think exercise is religion to some people. But I can see that, your point yeah. where most yeah. cults that are technically cults basically control people's lives and minds and 
Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I, CrossFit that, probably doesn't you know, do oftentimes that. when we hear cult, we think of Jonestown or Waco, Texas. Um, you know, so we think of these big things where people were, you know, maybe the end result was death, like in Jonestown and, and in Waco and, um, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. And, you know, here we have that phrase that has to do with these, these things. But I think that this idea of cult or cult-ish is there's a lot more to it than just this, these big dramatic things that society views as a, well, that's a cult. And, but, you know, this religious belief or religion over here or whatever type of belief it is, well, that's not really a cult because the end result wasn't death or the end result mm-hmm. wasn't having sex, you know, one guy having sex with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more nuanced. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that the author brings up is that the terms that the media uses um, incessantly is like brainwashing. You know, Mm -hmm. she says, we don't say soldiers are brainwashed. We say basic training. We don't say brats (laughs) are brainwashed to haze members. You know, that's peer pressure. So brainwashing is like a metaphor and also, to sound less judgy, there are labels such as um, like new religious movements, emergent religions, and marginalized religions are used for non-mainstream spiritual communities. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely the words and the language that you use to describe. And, you know, she also went on to say, no matter how cult-phobic we may think we are, our participation in things is what defines us. Interesting. What if you participate in nothing? You don't have to be broken or disturbed to crave that structure. Okay. You know, it's part of of who we are. Interesting when you say that about language, because I don't know if you know this term, but growing up how I grew up and then exiting that, there's a term sometimes I'll use periodically. I use it more in the past than I do now, but Christianese. Because there are words. There is a language. And, and you, I can I, identify someone without them saying what religious group they're from. I can identify them by their language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, for me now, it's very cringy. Um, and in fact, I... I am still like trying to not use words, like dodging it. Now, other people might be like, why won't she just use that word? And I'm like, you just don't even know. That's the word. That's a word. That's a thing. That's a yeah. catchphrase. Or, and um, and what I don't even one want word to might, be associated with Right. It. And what one word might mean to you could mean something totally different to somebody else. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. But I know that within the community that I was in, it means what, what it meant to them. And mm-hmm. that's why it's so recognizable. Um, you know, so it, yeah, there are some times where I'll say something and I'm like, oh God, oh God, don't ever say that again, Corey, you know, write it down, you know, but <laughs> it, you know, sometimes it's hard to avoid, especially if it's like a, a word that is something that anybody else uh, uses in just regular old conversation. So even like the word worthy is hard for me. Yeah. Um, because it is a catchy word right now, but. It, there's all that word is used a lot in, you know, in where I was at before. Right. So you were like brought up in this religion. You weren't 
you didn't seek out the religion. You were basically brought into it. So you didn't really have a choice. No, I did not have a choice. So, I mean, I guess I had a choice when I got older, but you don't feel like you do. Um, Around the age of six or so, um, my parents started going to uh, church. I have no problem saying it. it was Lutheran church. That's why I grew up initially was Lutheran. A lot of people think that Lutheran and uh, Catholics are the same. And my experience was nothing like that because my grandparents are Catholic. And so my experience, like going to church was literally not the same. I, apparently we had like bishops, but I never saw them. So <laughs> I don't know if our Lutheran church was like weird. I don't, I don't know. Um, there was a pastor. We did have altar boys and um when i was in like sixth grade because i also went to a private christian school well lutheran school that was connected to the church that we went to and the girls like we had like an uprising when i was in like sixth grade we're like we want to be altar girls too how come they don't allow altar girls and they were like (laughs) okay shut up here you get to do it and then we were like god this fucking sucks (laughs) yeah okay i don't want to be an altar girl anymore behind Behind the cloth. There was a... um, The rectory or whatever it was called. Yeah, you call it, and it was like behind the main part where the on Sundays where the pastor would stand up and preach. He like came out these doors. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to... I want to know what the hell was back there. (laughs) Like, how does the pastor... Because this pastor we had at the time, he had like... And oh, by the way, we didn't call him a priest. We call him reverend or pastor. Mm -hmm. So he had like his hair never moved. And so when we we became altar girls, it was very exciting because we could see this massive amount of hairspray. And we knew it was like hard (laughs) as a shell. We knew where they kept the little wafers and the, the wine and stuff like that. That sounds very Catholic. um, Yeah. There was a lot of it that there was some ritual to it that was Catholic uh, looking, but not every, they didn't pray to Mary. There was no, I don't even know if we had stained glass, anything. There was a cross, but there was no, uh, Christ was not hanging on the cross inside the church. They did wear gowns um, and like the main pastor wore a different color. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, so that was that was the church I grew up in for the most part. Uh, the school I went to was connected to that. So when I was 18, we moved away from the area I lived in and so started going to a different church. And that one was just kind of like non-denominational evangelical to me, there really was no other option but go to church and be part of the church and do the churchy things. And even after I moved out of the house, I would be it was like, well, Corey, are you going to church? Why didn't you go to church this weekend? And severe guilt in me big time when I wasn't doing the acceptable things within the church. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got pregnant when I was, um, well, technically 17, had a baby by the time I turned 18. And I was definitely asked, are you still taking communion? Because that's a sin. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be separated from God because you're taking communion. So the communion, in case not everybody knows, is the wafer or bread, wine or grape juice, whatever the place uses. I was not supposed to be included in that. And I remember being like, oh, no, I'm not taking it. On all honesty, I might have just totally made that shit up. I have no clue if I really was or not. But it, um, it signifies the body and blood of Christ, basically. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I moved out. Would periodically help out at a this church that my parents had gone to. My brother was going to um, help out with the youth. And that is actually where I met my partner. 
And then we went to, we ended up go, splitting off from there and going to another church. We went to, to a few churches over the course of the years. And then later on, we got very involved in youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, they didn't call us youth pastors because we didn't go to like seminary or anything like that. But we were definitely directing junior hires um, and sometimes high schoolers out of our home on Sundays during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, we were quote unquote in charge, but not really because the church told us what we were and weren't allowed to do anyhow. So at what point were you questioning things that you were being told or things that you told things you had to do or told to do? I think in all honesty, I questioned for many, many, many years, probably even in my youth, but because the idea of questioning meant, um, well, first of all, there was a portion of scripture. I don't remember the reference, but, uh, there's a portion of uh, the books that says, um, like a wave tossed to and fro, meaning like you have, uh, you're easily swayed. Mm. That would be a, a, a phrase used um, to question, even in my mind, whether or not things were accurate, whether or not there was a God, whether or not I was a quote unquote Christian meant I was backsliding or that I was maybe not part of this group. There was a lot of fear. And the fear-based anything was heavy, heavy duty. Uh, purity culture, all of that was a real big, you were terrified. I probably constantly lived in fear I was going to hell. Because everything felt like if I thought, if I even thought for a second about something like, um, maybe having sex when I was a teenager shit. Now I'm going to fucking hell because I thought about sex because even thoughts were bad. Mm. Um, so there was, I would say there was a constant questioning, but, uh, around the time my sixth, <laughs> yeah, sixth child was born. And at that point, uh, this was 2004 when they were born, we were very very deep in the church. In fact, we were living in a church house. So on, you know, a lot of meetings and things like that occurred. We were working with youth, but there was some very significant things that had been occurring. And I kind of had reached my, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And and I was just done. I didn't want to go anymore. My partner was very supportive of that. I probably used a lot of excuses like, oh, you know, somebody's sick. Uh, I just had a baby because I kept having them. And so I just was not attending. Uh, And then we moved to Hawaii. Um, And when we moved to Hawaii, uh, that was, uh, it was almost like the getaway car. Mm -hmm. It felt like, okay, I'm not even in the same state as all of these people I've spent so many years with. No one here will know. If I don't go to church here, no one's really going to know that I used to always go to church unless I talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. So there's no one here that visually is going that I'm going to feel judged or punished by. Now, there was a big evolution from that point until, I mean, literally today. Uh, But that's probably as far as like when I actually actively felt like I was doing something uh, was probably around 2004. If you don't mind, do you mind if I read off some 
checklist of characteristics of cults, and this is very resonates with me. Do you yeah. mind if I do that? Go for it. A group that is focused on a living leader to whom members seem to display excessive zealous, unquestioning commitment. The group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. The group is preoccupied with making money, questioning doubt and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Mind-numbing techniques are used to suppress doubts about the group and its leaders. The leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how members should think, act, and feel. For example, uh, you must get permission from leaders to date, change jobs, get married. Uh, they might prescribe what types of clothes to wear, where to live, how to discipline your children, and so forth. Uh, the group is elitist, claiming a special exalted status. Group has polarized us versus them mentality. The group's leader is not accountable to any authorities. The group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify a means. Uh, the leadership induces guilt feelings in members in order to control them. Members' subservience to the group causes them to cut ties with family, friends, give up personal goals and activities. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group. Members are encouraged to require to live and or socialize only with other group members. I can tell you mm -hmm. all of those right now, every single solitary one of those, that was my life. Mm -hmm. And that was my life that I recognize, especially if, as I look back on it now, it, especially as an adult. As a child, you kind of don't have a choice uh, when you're raised up in a household where they're going, you know, I, I didn't have a choice where my, you know, especially the type of household I grew up in. And when I mean by type of household, by the way, I don't want to make it sound like my parents were like these crazy oppressive people, but they were caught up in the same shit. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't blame my parents. I really don't. Um, but they were caught up in the same shit. But my life, especially when I became an adult and was, was going to other churches, this was it. We were in, and it wasn't just one church. Recently, someone heard me say that I left church, the church and Christianity. And they were like, oh, which church was it? And I don't mean a specific, oh, it was Calvary Lutheran in San Lorenzo. That's mm -hmm. not what I mean. What I mean, the church as a whole. The term church, just for a little bit of etymology, comes from... I think it's a Greek or Latin word. Essentially what it means is chosen mm. or set apart. Okay. So I left the chosen set apart ones and Christianity means follower of Christ, um, which by the way is not a word that Christ ever used to define himself or the people that kicked it with him. Another group of people actually use it as a term kind of like a slur. It was mm. a slur hmm. to mock, to mock them. And now they're like, yeah, that's our favorite word. Um, <laughs> yeah. That wasn't that wasn't a term that Christ even used. Funny story. His name isn't even Jesus. It's Yeshua. So it would be like someone be deciding to call me, I don't know, Dory. And then me being like, <laughs> what the fuck? That's not even my name. You know, there's just a lot of different. <laughs> right. So when you talk about. Um, keep on swimming. Uh, keep on swimming. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk. Yeah. When you talk about, you said uh, a little bit ago, one of the definitions she uses was uh, to define them. Uh, would you say outright lies, omission? I can't remember what the third one was. So it was omission of what you need to know, distortion to make whatever they're saying more acceptable, and outright lies. Yes. And that is, 
that was literally every moment. And what's hard is, and I really want to make sure it's very clear. I do not hate the people mm-hmm. at all. Do I get frustrated? Yeah, but I also get frustrated with my kids. So there's that, you know, but I do hate the religion. Mm-hmm. I do hate the beliefs. I do hate the indoctrination. I do hate the evangelizing. I do hate, <laughs> I hate all of it. And, and that's because of what the damage and trauma it, I see that it's done to me. I see that it did in my relationships. I see that it's doing to society as a whole because there's a whole shitload of lies. You know, um, when you talk about that book that they use, the Bible, it's interesting because my partner, he studies it on a very regular basis. Now, the way that he is studying it is very different than any Christian would ever do. And in fact, we were told not to do the types of things that he does. And a lot of that is understanding, understanding, sorry, the origins of the words, what their actual meanings are. I don't know if a lot of people understand that that book, when it was translated, you could find this online, by the way, uh, the King James had rules that, that they were to abide by. And a lot of it was politically motivated Mm -hmm. in their translation of it. And so a lot of the true meaning behind a lot of these words is completely lost. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like a big one right now is homosexual. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you'll see that in there. That was added, by the way, that word late, way later on. Like not even, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but maybe like a hundred years ago or less. But the original word really refers to something more along the lines of pedophilia mm. between a man and a boy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and there's, there's relationships even in that book where, okay, I don't know if anybody knows about Jonathan and David. And there are times you look at that relationship and go, huh, those guys are pretty freaking close. You know, (laughs) they really loved each other. No, does it say anything about them having an intimate sexual or, you know, romantic relationship? No, it does not. But it was a pretty damn close relationship. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, I'm not trying to go into depths with that, but. But then again, it's all about language and interpretation. In the book, just aside, as a side note, there's a linguistic mm-hmm. concept called the theory of performativity that says language does not simply describe or reflect who we are. It creates who we are. Mm. Interesting. That's very interesting because my this whole idea of language, my partner, I, uh, him way more so than me because sometimes I get very... I don't want to talk about anything to do with the, uh, the book very frequently, whereas it's a big part of his life. And he's very considerate of that for me. And a lot of that has to do with, I told him, I said, I figured it out the other day. Said, if you um, have been abused or traumatized by someone and you finally leave, you don't automatically go step right back into that place. So if you were someone who, um, would be labeled as an alcoholic and you've thought and you've quit drinking, you would not the very next day, next week, next month, you're probably not going to go step into a bar Mm -hmm. and kick it. You're not going to hang out. And that's part of what I feel like with me is I can't go there yet. Um, not right now. I, one day I may be able to, but right now 
I can't go into there because the it's too fresh still for me, which mm-hmm. sounds, I mean, it's been a while, but there, it's like I'm constantly learning and understanding about who I am. And that was robbed from me. Mm. I don't have any desire to, at this point to step back into the arena of the language um, and the groups and the people that were associated with what I feel robbed me mm-hmm. of uh, many things. And, and it's hard because, you know, I think that with this type of a group, you know, this isn't to say all churches are bad and all Christians are bad. And I don't want it to feel like that because I don't know if there's, you know, this whole idea of bad and good is kind of funny because I almost feel like Christianity define those words right (laughs) they're very quick to judge who is good and who is bad yes and not necessarily looking at themselves in the process right I think my biggest thing is anybody's listening to this when you talk about cults and not and it doesn't have to just be Christianity that's just my personal experience first of all one of the things that I was taught within the church was not really to trust your intuition, you know, gut feelings and things like that. Mm -hmm. If it was counter to what leadership said, then that meant you were wrong. You were not in line with God. Um, You were not in line with them. So you probably need to go pray somewhere or whatever, whatever ritual you were supposed to perform. And maybe they might separate you from everybody for a little while because you might infect other people with this, this thought process that you're having or there's a view or opinion, belief, whatever. I would encourage people as soon as they feel as though that's what's happening, you need to flee. And it may be that this is just a thought. This is just something you're wondering about. But it, to me, it's like, okay, you need to dig into that to find out what's going on. And if you're prevented at any point from doing that, something's wrong here. Someone is trying to control your, uh, who you are, what your thought processes are, what your understanding is. Anybody tells you, you, when you start to dig into something that you may not understand or believe to stop that, because it's not, that's not good for you. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that is what I experienced. That's what we experienced while we were there. Um, you know, for the salaciousness of it, we had rooms, we had a blue room where you would be brought in and you would be charged and you would be punished and you would be accused. Now by punished, I don't mean physical punishment. It would be more like shunning. I was to cut off all of my family. And I did Hmm. um, in many, many ways, not 100%, but pretty much we were not allowed to have friendships unless you evangelized them and brought them in, then those friendships were okay. You, there is a term within the church called being saved. I don't know if everybody knows what that means. Basically, that means that you're now a Christian. You get to go to heaven. And we had places where, I mean, that's what it means to them. We had places where because we hadn't got quote unquote saved in their parish or whatever you want to call it, we had to do it again. Oh, interesting. We had to get baptized again. We were definitely in various places and this was not one place we could not, if if you went and bought tires for your car, if you went and bought a new car, if you decided to change job, you, you had to get permission 
he had to and if you did it anyhow which by the way we were always in trouble for doing stuff anyhow without permission we were brought in and again this this room or this place or by the leadership or by the elders and when you were brought in it was a terrifying experience i never left those places without sobbing i've been brought in and told not to tell my partner do not tell um, him that this occurred Mm. the first thing I did was spill the beans obviously when I saw him but so at what point were you like I need to get out of here and how did that process actually happen like how did you actually exit it's still happening but from now it's not like um like again so it's not as salacious as Jonestown but the last church where was actually the second to last church we left to go to another church and we didn't go into detail with them about the whys. We just said, I, I think my partner might've said something to the effect that we feel that we've been led to go to another uh, church. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh, we love you. Well, the place that we went to at that time, you actually had to have a letter that said you were leaving on good terms so that you could hand it to this other place. Interesting. Um, and we got that letter said that we were leaving on good terms. There was no sin. That was one of the things that had to be in that letter. There was mm. no sin. Got that letter, handed it off to the new church. The new church was not quite as rigid with that kind of stuff, but we, you know, they still were, we but had a lot of other issues there, but they wanted a letter. <laughs> they wanted a letter, got the letter within maybe three days of us make, you know, letting them know, and we had people there that, I mean, we were going to that church probably four to five times a week in some way, shape or form for some sort of activity. It was, we lived in San Leandro, San Lorenzo, and it was all the way out in San Ramon. So it was a, whatever, what is that? 30 mile mm-hmm. each way kind of a thing, several times a week, young family, no money, it, you know, how much gas we're spending. I have no fucking clue. Within three days, I received a call from someone who at the time was my very closest friend who lived in the same track of um, condos that we lived in to notify me that she had been ordered to no longer speak to me or see me and that she was going to abide by that. That And then everybody that we were very close with, what we found out was told the same thing. From the previous church? So they did not, from, yeah, the one that we just had that letter signed, written off and sent off to uh. So we lost all our friendships because we left there. And that was a very formal, apparently there was a church meeting. Don't talk to Aaron and Corey Asuncion anymore. Mm. Um, and they made up some sins, by the way. They told them all about some sins that we were involved in. Never mind, we had the letter that said we weren't in mm-hmm. sin, but whatever. So we go to this new place and whatever. Spent some years there, worked in leadership. When we left there physically, because we moved to Hawaii. I mean, oh, that was okay. the big thing. So we that moved was to the Hawaii. catalyst. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, when we informed them we were moving to Hawaii, they were very upset about that. But we were, it was a job opportunity. Plus, that's where my partner is originally from. His almost, whatever, 90% of his family is there. And they were very upset with us for that. And initially, no, it was not as formal a shunning and cutting off. But it was definitely a shunning and cutting off. We just didn't hear from them. Mm-hmm. And then when we came back into California, they were very much, you know, like side eye. If we saw them, they were, they were terrified of us. Like all of a sudden, I don't know what we were. We were running around with pitchforks and <laughs> devil tails. Um, They're terrified of us. It, it was bad. And 
it was worse than anything I'd ever experienced as a teenager in high school, mm-hmm. as far as catty, petty, judgy, evil. Um, and this was several churches. It was it, it, as far as when you're talking about a building. And then what happened from there is I began to dig into my understanding, what I believed and kind of release that in the sense that, for example, I don't believe there's a heaven and a hell. I don't believe it. I think the understanding in that book, which I don't necessarily think that whole book is a lie. I just don't want to have a lot to do with it because of the way Christianity has interpreted it. I don't believe in their God. I, I think their God is, I think it's a false religion. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, not a creator, a source I don't believe that there's a heaven and hell. I think that we have the opportunity to experience that here on earth and we get to choose that because we have free will. Mm-hmm. I do not believe that a creator who is supposed to be like part of me, I'm part of that creator, kind of like a mother and a child would be or a father and a child would be, would ever truly, if they are benevolent, cut them off and say, essentially, fuck you, you sinned, you didn't do what I said, you didn't do what I wanted. Oh, yeah, by the way, you got free will. But also, you didn't do what I say, you didn't do what I wanted. So I am sending you to the pits of hell for all of eternity. Mm-hmm. The f- What the fuck? I have seven children. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm gonna tell you right now, they piss me off on a regular basis. Never in my life could I imagine I don't care what they do hating them, wanting them to have eternal pain and grief and sorrow because they did not obey me. That's fucking sucks but and a, sick. And a lot of these leaders, it's all about power and control. It's not mm-hmm. even, I don't even think it is about the religious or the God's word. Or, you know, I think it's their own agenda and they just use that platform to absolutely control and have this authority over people which technically if you look at it is they're just like anybody else they don't have the authority and the power to have control over anybody but because they've used their charisma and they've used certain words and you know the fear of you're going to be shunned and disowned if you don't follow the rules that's what keeps people there right to me, it's very fear-based. Uh, one of the things my partner said to me that, because one thing you get asked within Christianity is, well, when did you become a Christian? Like, what was the day? Because they'll tell you that every Christian, I heard many times, every Christian knows the day that they became a Christian, the day they got quote unquote saved. And I never really had one. So I was like, <laughs> fuck, I'm not really a Christian. Damn it. But I didn't want to tell anybody that, right? <laughs> so one of the things my partner says is he was a little boy, uh, five or six years old. They came to him. I don't know who it was. I don't know who they was somebody, I don't know if it was parents or the church, whatever. And basically said, you have to accept Jesus into your heart or you cannot go to heaven with grandma. Now his Mm. grandmother was the most important person in his life. Mm -hmm. He adored her and dear God, if he could not go to be with her, that's, that was the worst. So talk about fucking fear, man. Mm -hmm. And I, I, a lot of these religions, I believe, are like that. There's this fear, this separation from community. You're going to be alone. Mm-hmm. If you leave us, you're, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about money, too, when you're making good money. Oh, that's from God when you're not. Well, it's one of two things. Either you're, uh, you're not supposed to have money. I mean, we are, but you're not. Or 
you're not making enough money because there's obviously some sin in your life. So then mm-hmm. there's this fear of, well, oh God, if I leave this, I'm really gonna, not going to be able to pay the rent next month. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely the separation, definitely um, this fear of not being with people that you've, you've grown to love. I grew to love all these people deeply. But one of the biggest things is this idea that you are going to have an eternity, which you can't even imagine because by the way, we're all alive. There's nobody that's come back to tell <laughs> us about it right. of hell. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of, I don't know, living on top of a giant, um, I don't know, charcoal fire pit for the rest of your life, just <laughs> singeing your skin and um, you're naked by the way too. And it's sweaty, you know, <laughs> It's menopause. It's menopause. <laughs> Anyhow, but it's, it's an eternal you know, so, life of menopause, yeah. hot flashes. So you use, so this fear is used and it's, it's terrible. So anyhow, going back a little bit to the question you'd asked me earlier about what did I do from there is all of those fears I'm confronting. Mm-hmm. So this idea of heaven and hell, I'm confronting that. And my deal really is right now is I am finding out who I am, what I'm supposed to be. I believe I'll be working on that to the day I die. And I'm okay with that. But I love that now I am not afraid mm-hmm. to do that. Not always. Uh, there's a lot of unlearning. You know, I'm, I'm 49 years old. I've been a part in some way, shape or form of the church from the age of six till about, well, if you're talking about mentally from the age of six till about 40 physically a little bit before that there's a lot of unlearning to do. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about, when we're talking about language, I'm changing my language. When I talk about who I spend my time with learning to recognize triggers, trauma triggers, and not allow myself to get sucked into the fears of those things. Um, It is, it is, it is constant. It is daily, but I feel so free and every definition of the word in comparison to what mm-hmm. I, how I lived before so much joy, so eager to learn absolutely anything without any fear and be able to find out for myself what I believe is true. Uh, and I could not do that there. It was not allowed. And that, you know, so when I say I believe Christianity is a cult, right there in and of its definition, if I am not allowed, if I'm going to be punished in any way, shape or form, because I want to find out about tarot, let's say, mm-hmm. or I want to get drunk one night, <laughs> or I'm going to go, you know, as a younger person, I've had sex with 10 people this week. If you're telling me I'm going to hell or going to be punished because of those, those things, because I've looked into those things, trying to understand those things, trying to find out who I am. There's something very wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something so wrong with that. And that's why when I and it is very much as brainwashing or mind control that definitely goes on that, you know, it doesn't go on like you see it in the movies, you know, like they hooked me up to something and (laughs) I've got little beepers on the side of my head and I'm like, you know, but it's (laughs) it it, it definitely goes. it, It definitely happens. And then you're petrified. Well, I think the psychological part of it is the worst I can imagine is the worst part of it. Um, Absolutely. And, um, and that is what takes forever to, like you say, unlearn and oh, yeah, heal constantly. from because hearing yeah. something over and over again is, is not easy to. Well, it becomes, it feels from. though it becomes part of you. 
Yeah. So in this leaving this, even when I came to this understanding, first of all, talk about feeling like your whole life is a fucking lie. Mm. You know, that's what it felt like. I had lived an entire life. I had not only that, I had pressed this on some of my children. Oh my God, what have I done? So there's it. it so then there's this fear when you leave because, oh, you know, what did I do to myself? What did I do to my relationship? Because the, the relationship between my partner and I, we've suffered. What have I done to my kids? Um, are they, are they never going to be independent and free thinking and, um, learn to love themselves? Cause actually you're not even supposed to do that. You're not supposed to love yourself because that's whatever narcissistic and the idea of worthy. You're actually told you're worthless without this God. What? Mm. No, it's terrible. Yeah. Anyhow, you know, there's, so when I say cult, when I'm referring to, this is what I'm referring to. It, 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 it uh, with me mind body soul Mm -hmm. um and anything that's doing that to you and you can't question that uh to me that's a cult yeah well i'd like to hear from any listeners out there that feel like they are willing to share any experience whether it's religious or health related fitness related you know whatever Mm -hmm. you would consider mind control and a cultish environment. <laughs> I think work is even the same way. Careers can be that same way as mm-hmm. far as. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, can I just say one real in... quick thing? I think is really important that you find a way to laugh through this shit. I can make jokes about this now. It's, and, and some people think I'm making light. Part of that's just my, that's my drug of choice is his humor. But um, it is okay to get through this and be in the midst of it and laugh at shit because literally there's sometimes there's nothing else you can do. <laughs> but um, it's important to be able to to not feel this shame and this guilt to be able to laugh about it and recognize that was a period of time, lesson learned. And we get, we get this beautiful opportunity in life to every moment uh, begin again. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm doing now. And I'll do it till I'm dead. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing your experience because it helps me understand you more as a person as well and what you have gone through. But I also mm-hmm. think it hopefully will help listeners know that they're not alone if they've gone through the same thing and mm-hmm. to learn more about themselves and having to unlearn what they've gone through, like you said. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's so crazy because there's so much more to talk about, but obviously we'd be here for a hundred days, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, if anybody has questions, ask away. I don't have that many hours on so Buzzsprout, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Corey. And mm-hmm. we will see you next time on Women Who Sarcast. Thank you for listening to Women Who Sarcast, an independent podcast. Email us at womenwhosarcast at yahoo.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at womenwhosarcast. Get your copy of Women Who Podcast magazine today. Visit womenwhopodcastmag.com to subscribe. Show music provided by Mike Imbasiani.